It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Good news, one of the deep thinkers, great thinkers, most experienced guys, foreign policy and domestic. Mark Thiessen from the Washington Post and Fox News will be joining us shortly, actually at the bottom of the hour, so I'll have plenty of time for you to talk, one 866 408-7669. Uh, special thanks to everyone who came out and visited uh, us yesterday in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. Big crowd uh, to speak in a church. I felt a little intimidated by the altar. I'm not so sure I deserve that type of uh, billing, but it was fantastic. And um, and we had a chance to interact, but I got back late, and now I'm off to Albany tonight. So I hope to see everybody at 6 o'clock today at the Starverson Bookstore. So just go to BrianKillMe.com, find out where to find me as we talk about the president and the freedom fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul. Meanwhile, let's talk about saving America with the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This city is not going to be a city of riots. It's not going to be a city of burning. This is going to be a city where we're going to be safe. We're going to have effective policing that's not heavy-handed. We're going to have the backs of our police officers, but we're going to hold them accountable to do their jobs. You know, this is unbelievable. Eric Adams is telling the Democrats this is the secret to being okay in 2022. Crime and finally some punishment. That's what Mayor-elect Adams is promising for New York City as his center-left campaign has given Gotham hope to restoring law and order. What stands in his way? Black Lives Matter. Number two, Kyle Rittenhouse shot three people. Two were murdered. One was was injured. They're having a protest in another state, and he takes it upon himself to go there, you know. And then he says it's self-defense. No, and that that acting job of the crying, I can't even look at it. You really think this kid is acting? Defense rests in the Kyle Rittenhouse murder case. While we should be watching uh, as the jury uh, gets the case on Monday, I know everybody will care. The whole tragedy was avoidable if we would have just empowered the police to do their job in Wisconsin. Number one. And the irony is people have more money now because of the first major piece of legislation I passed. It changed people's lives. But... What happens if there's nothing to buy and you got more money, you compete for getting it there, it creates a real problem. Okay, not only was that incomprehensible, uh, they made absolutely no rational sense. Not now. That's the rational themed, the national, the rational theme tossed uh, out by reasonable non-political people as the oblivious president starts his campaign to jam a $2 trillion reconciliation bill down our throats. Inflation, supply chain, and energy prices. Three reasons we need to work and not spend. But that's the president. The president's got an agenda. He does not care what's going on in the country. He wants to be FDR. The worst thing to ever happen to him is him to get full of himself because he got a lot of votes, 82 million. But I have news for you. President Trump got the record number of Republican votes, 75 million. 11 million more than he got the first time, despite every single news outlet being against him in the middle of a pandemic that forced him to crash his own economy on purpose that China was responsible for. And then he gets a vaccine, but Joe Biden wins. He meets with these historians, John Meacham and others, 
And he says, you know, how do I be great? And he goes, you want to be FDR? Go big, think big. That's what FDR was doing. The problem is we don't need it. We were coming out of a new pre- uh, of a depression. We were looking straight at a world war. That is not what he is looking at. So we blew Afghanistan, ignoring Iraq, ignoring Iran, begging to talk to our third biggest enemy after Russia and China, and that is Iran. And then he wants to jam through a spending program because he thinks he's FDR. And he's not. And not only that, we don't need FDR right now. Cut one. And the irony is people have more money now because of the first major piece of legislation I passed. Y'all got checks for $1,400. You got checks for a whole range of things. It changed people's lives. But what happens if there's nothing to buy, you got more money, you compete for getting it there, it creates a real problem. Okay, by the way, every economist listening just passed out. That has no economic foundation in what he said. It's not that you can't buy anything. We're buying stuff. It's slowing down now. Believe me, no one's saying, I went to the store. There was nothing there. There's plenty of things there. People had money that they didn't earn. The PPP loans were a godsend. The $1.9 trillion was not needed. Larry Summers, the Treasury Secretary for Barack Obama, said it. it's going to exacerbate signs of inflation and it won't be transitory. He says there won't be inflation. And if there is, it's transitory. Both end up being epically false. Joe Biden. Making up economic principles. And you know he's going off prompter when he starts only using consonants and forgetting vowels. Ned Ryan was on with, and we've got to book him more, by the way. Ned Ryan, he's uh, with American Majority, really smart guy, CEO there. Uh, Ned Ryan, whose father was Jim Ryan, the legendary miler. And Ned Ryan was on with Tucker last night about what's going on right now and why the administration just is even addressing it. Cut five. The part on the energy policy, how do, how do you not know this is going to happen when you're shutting down pipelines almost from day one in this administration? Of course, prices are going to rise. Now we're seeing 30 to 50 percent uh, increase in heating prices for this winter. And, of course, gas prices are exploding through the ceiling. But I keep on going back to the intent. I mean, they want to use the Green New Deal policies to restructure our economy and thereby restructure our society to achieve their twisted worldview in which the state and its elite are, are, are everything, uh, and the dirty little peasants serve the state and the elite. And I think this is the one thing that people have to wake up and understand. If we continue down this path much longer, and, and I don't know how much longer we actually have on this path, it, there's a certain point of no return, because I would remind people, if you study history, Go back and look at the 1920s and 30s in Germany where inflation exploded overnight and people are buying uh, loaves of bread with wheelbarrows full of money. Yeah, it's true. I'm not saying this is pre-Hitler Germany, but there's no reason to be printing these dollars. We're not in an economic freefall. It's not 2008. It's not 1990. So what are we doing? He's just putting money into the system to put programs in that he believes that no politician will have the guts to stop. My hope is he won't. And if he does, the minute the House gets control, they take whatever money's left and they repurpose it. That's my hope. So he's got this reconciliation package. And here's what we know so far. And believe me, Joe Manchin's doing uh, fantastic work and saying, I am not for raising the corporate tax. Not that you love corporations. But corporations will go where the tax is the least and therefore it's to their shareholders' interest to move it to Ireland or to move it to the the manufacturing to Indonesia or, dare I say, China. But if you make the corporation tax uh, competitive, they would come back. So the upper tax rate, it stays at 37. 
So where is he going to get his money? Not on capital gains. It'll discourage people from investing. How do you tax a billionaire? Guess who stopped the billionaire's tax? Nancy Pelosi. Because her and her husband are billionaires. They also thought it was ridiculous to tax people on money that they have over and over again when they didn't grow it. And they might even have lost some of it. Just you can't tax somebody because they're rich and you think they can spare it. The theory is they're going to invest it. New York Post has an op-ed by this guy, Brian Reed. He goes, here's the eight problems with Biden's Build Back Better plan. Number one, no cost estimate. The CBO says we're not going to have it ready this week. It's going to take for a while because there's too many questions. Gimmicks to hide the cost. There is a bunch of that where they sunset these in 10 years, so it looks like not a lot of money. Less economic growth. That's what everyone's projecting. In fact, they say uh, if you take this bill and put that into cycle, inflation will grow at 0.5%. Uh, expanded salt deduction. That allows you to write off for your state tax. And when you stop writing that off, it brought in additional revenue for the president's tax reduction program. So these high state, you see these residents in high state, high tax states like the one I'm in, and maybe you're in, if you're in New Jersey and California and Illinois, you could write off the state tax. That's why a lot of people stayed put. When you couldn't write it off, I don't know why they're staying. So if you expand the salt tax deduction, you lose that revenue, more deficit. Child tax credit for undocumented immigrants? Are you kidding me? Child ta- child care reform? All right. How much can we afford? Can we afford to babysit everybody's kids? Historic new taxes because they're going to be sliding stuff in that we don't even know about. That's back to the gimmick line. And marriage penalties. So that is some of the reasons why I think it's a huge mistake to go for the reconciliation bill. Also weighing in, I'll bring in a nonpartisan view Longtime pollster for Bill Clinton, Mark Penn, and, de- and a Democrat, by the way. Cut him. It's about as difficult a situation as I've seen outside an indictment or an impeachment. I mean, <laughs> the, we, we really saw ratings start to tank in, over the summer, greatly accelerated, uh, greatly accelerated with what happened in Afghanistan. And now on top of that, you know, runaway inflation after the administration predicted that inflation would be transitory uh, is really a perfect storm against the administration. So it's about as difficult a situation as I can imagine. And I always have what, what I call the rule of 50. The minute you, you go below 50, it, it accelerates downward uh-huh. because everyone realizes it's in their political advantage to kick you. And I kind of think that's what, what's wow. happened. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because his approval rating at 38%, which is terrible, 42% in the Monmouth poll, which is usually very friendly to him. So it's uh, under 50. So I'm going to talk about the uh, I'm going to talk about the uh, the the case that this whole nation should be paying attention to Kyle Rittenhouse, even if you're not in the family or don't know him or never been to Wisconsin. I'll tell you why. But I want to focus on crime and punishment. Because what Eric Adams is doing as mayor-elect, even the fact that he's talking about it, is such a relief. He's seeing what's happening on the streets, not just in the Upper West Side or Upper East Side and Midtown, in New York City. If New York City isn't safe, they don't get tourists. They don't get tourists. They don't get tax revenue. They don't get tax revenue. And they're taxing, they're raising taxes on Wall Street like this governor was prepared to do, the mayor was prepared to do, and the governor too. They just leave. But now he's saying law and order first. So Captain Eric Adams became borough president Eric Adams, who's now going to be mayor of New York City. Eric Adams says, I'm going to take on crime. I'm going to put the billions back and bring back the uh, the anti-crime unit, which is basically an undercover unit that looks at problem places so they know how to target their actually uniform sources. 
So they went and met, he did, Eric Adams, who's by the way, is black. He met with Black Lives Matter, and one of the leaders is Hawk Newsom, and he told Hawk Newsom about what he's going to do. Listen to this guy who's been on our show before, totally off the charts, cut 27. If they think that they're going to go back to the old ways of policing, then we're going to take to the streets again. There will be riots, there will be fire, and there will be bloodshed. We have people in city council who can create problems for him. We have people in the streets who can create problems for this administration by shutting it down. And make no mistake about it, I am not threatening anyone. I am just saying that as a natural response to aggressive oppression, people will react. Okay, number one, you are threatening. You could say I'm not threatening after you threaten. It's still a threat. 450 businesses burned in 12 days in 2020. Countless more were just flat out looted, not registered. Some of those businesses were abandoned or were empty because we're in the middle of the pandemic. Remember uh, that great Anthony Fauci says it's no big deal. The rioters were wearing masks, so it's not dangerous. That's part of the farce, which is uh, the medical profession, how they let us down, especially at the highest level. So that was a threat. That was a threat. And I hope the African-American community will say, you don't speak for me. Eric Adams is not worried about it. Cut 29. I think New Yorkers should not allow um, rhetoric like that. Uh, This city is not going to be a city of riots. It's not going to be a city of burning. This is going to be a city where we're going to be safe. We're going to have effective policing that's not heavy-handed. We're going to have the backs of our police officers, but we're going to hold them accountable to do their jobs. And so uh, if fringe elements want to hurl uh, rhetoric like that, that's silly to New Yorkers. Okay, I love it. He's not going to be intimidated. Former captain of the police, a big critic of the police. He was um, somebody who made things difficult for police chiefs. Now he's in charge and he sees how bad things are, how cops aren't empowered. What I love what he said is we will have the backs of police. If you let them do their job, they will be okay. When we come back, your calls one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine, And then we're going to welcome in Mark Thiessen on that and the, and the Rittenhouse uh, murder case. It is now in the hands of the jury. The defense has rested. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in 
Blue Collar Trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com slash path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com slash path. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm a little bit challenged when you say, uh, is there something that I'm saying that draws the face that you're making? I Go ahead. Say what you I want to say. I have to say, Your Honor, yesterday I was uh, the target of your ire for disregarding your orders. I was talking yesterday about the Constitution of the United States and how the Supreme Court has interpreted it for 50 years. So that's a little of the back and forth with the prosecutor so desperate uh, trying to prosecute and convict Kyle Rittenhouse. He did pull the trigger and two people died, three people shot. I believe he shot four times, hit three, uh, and they said a murderer. But the problem is for the prosecution is there's so much tape available and there's so many eyewitnesses available, you cannot convict this kid. And what I find astounding is people like LeBron James weighing in saying when he broke down on the stand a few days ago that he was acting. Same thing with Joy Behar. He was acting. Are you kidding me? Rosanna Arquette acting. You're supposed to cry on cue as a 17-year-old from the Midwest with no theatrical background. You think he's going to pull that off? Are you kidding? You have a prosecutor who can't convict a case to uh, to his side. He really has no substance to run on. And he should not be convicted. Why? Listen to Drew Hernandez. He is an eyewitness and a journalist, provided some of the video that everybody saw. This is what Drew Hernandez said. Cut 20. Rosenbaum was attempting to push a burning dumpster into police vehicles that were occupied by police officers, human beings. And once someone put that dumpster out, he immediately started to get confrontational with people at a gas station to the point of, requesting to be shot by them. And after that skirmish took place, he retreated to the street, covered his face, began to burn trash cans in the middle of the street. And then two minutes later, he made his way to car source and began to charge Kyle Rittenhouse from behind. And the rest is history. So listen, so if you are going to have a self-defense defense, it's caught on video. You see it. You see another guy grab the barrel of his gun that was, was unarmed, but you grab in the barrel of a gun, you see him knocked to the ground. So you're supposed to just let him get killed? Meanwhile, do you know what happened afterwards? The riots stopped. Because of the tragedy, the riots stopped. Because the cops weren't empowered because of the Democratic governor didn't want to let Donald Trump look good and respond to Donald Trump. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Trump's request, say, say, please request the National Guard. I will help you with this. So we saw right now we find out the defense is rested with the prosecution arrested a couple of days ago. And now the jury's going to get this. They're also walking up today and saying, what if we don't do murder one? What if we would do a different kind of murder? 
where we get some type of conviction, uh, but not what we overcharged. They overcharged. So if I was watching this on an, on an 8 o'clock movie of the week or if they told me this was uh, CSI and, okay, this is a trial, I'd say, guys, this, this is never going to happen in a court case. But very rare do you watch live a prosecutor put someone on the stand and the prosecutor's case get blown up right before them. That's what happened. And what I like about it is it makes our system look great because our system is allowing the innocent to get free upon testimony. And it looks as though not a person watching this would actually think that he should be found guilty. But that's in the theatrical theatrical world, in the real world, in the We're finding a lot of people on every channel just blaming the judge. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Here what I'm thinking about is primarily coal industry and oil and gas industry. A lot of the smaller players in that industry are uh, going to probably uh, go bankrupt in, in, in short order. At least we want them to go bankrupt if we want to tackle climate change, right? And that's someone who's going to have two-thirds of all the banking under auspices if she gets confirmed. That's Saul Amarova who took her formative years in the 1980s in the Soviet Union, where she studied, loves communism. Even the communists don't love communism, unless, of course, you're leading it. Mark Thiessen, former chief speechwriter for, uh, former chief speechwriter for George W. Bush, Fox News contributor, Washington Post columnist, joins us now. Mark, this, if there's somebody less qualified or uh, who has a worse resume to run the position that she's up for, I don't know who it is. What are they thinking? So here's the fascinating thing. So for uh, for us on the right, like calling somebody a communist is like an epithet. Like they're not actual communists, but, just, but you, you just call them a communist. Here she actually is a communist. <laughs> she literally yeah. is a self-proclaimed communist. She studied in the Soviet Union at Moscow State University, wrote her thesis on Karl Marx, and is, is a Marxist, self-proclaimed Marxist. And I'll tell you something. She She said that she wants to put Business put American legitimate legal businesses into bankruptcy, right? If you go back to the Soviet Union, I don't think you'd find a Soviet apparatchik who intended to put industries into bankruptcy. They did it because communism doesn't work because communism is so efficient. But even they tried to keep them afloat. She's actually trying to put an industry out of business. It goes beyond Marxism. You just need one miss. <laughs> Could Tester be the one? Evidently, Tester is is noticing what kind of background she has and might put his foot down. If not, she could get that job, right? Yeah, I, I mean, his, I don't know what Manchin has said, but I can't imagine that Manchin would would could vote to confirm a woman who said she's going to put the oil and gas oil and gas companies out of business if that's her objective in office. I mean, there's got to be more than one Democrat who's going to vote no on this. I, I, I would hope so. They did pull back some nominees, but he's very slow in doing it. Uh, we have to reform well, he's this busy process. Stopping other socialism, other socialist projects. Yeah, I mean it's it's amazing too. He's still talking about Build Back Better. Listen to this school of thought, if you can follow it. He knows we have a supply chain problem. He knows we have an energy problem. He knows how expensive gas is and inflation. Uh, what it's doing. So here's what he suggests. Cut one. And the irony is, people have more money now. 
because of the first major piece of legislation I passed. You all got checks for $1,400. You got checks for a whole range of things. It changed people's lives. But what happens if there's nothing to buy, you got more money, you compete for getting it there, it creates a real problem. Okay, do you subscribe to that ridiculous theory of that would make any economics professor uh, collapse? Well, I mean, he's admitting that his uh, that his uh, 1.9 trillion dollar uh, social spending disguised as COVID has contributed to inflation. So I do subscribe to that part of it. Uh, you know, he it would be he's exa- that's exactly right. But he basically what happened is that, that we had a 300 billion dollar hole in the economy, and he tried to ram 1.9 tr- uh, trillion. Uh, into it, uh, he gave, they gave uh, stimulus checks, the most generous child uh, tax credits ever, uh, the, and he didn't mention uh, these generous uh, unemployment subsidies. And so, at the end of the summer, uh, according to the Wall Street Journal, Americans were sitting on 1.7 trillion dollars in excess savings. People saved up all that money. The savings rate was through the roof during during the pandemic. And so, what that means is two things right now: one. Uh, people are ready to spend. They've got money, um, and two, they're less willing to work because they ha- they have savings. They're not they're not getting back into the economy. They're sitting on the sidelines because uh, they 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 have all this all this government money, um, and so you know th- that's what's causing inflation. That's what's causing the worker shortage. We have 10.4 million unfilled jobs. 51 percent of small businesses uh, they can't find workers for 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 job openings, which is double the the uh, normal rate. Um, and and we have supply chain problems. It's all being caused by this ridiculous government spending. And so he's basically making Joe Manchin's argument, which is don't pour another four trillion dollars of government spending into the economy. We we get this bill back better. He's making argument against his own bill because he's saying the first bill is causing inflation. Joe Manchin's point is, yeah, and the bill back better will cause even more inflation. The worst thing, so president, I don't know how he feels that's going to convince Joe Manchin to vote for his bill. I mean, to think, listen, when that when that first passed, there's stuff to buy. Now we're seeing a lot of problems. Now we're seeing the shelves bare. Now we're seeing 6.2 percent inflation. Yeah. There's stuff to buy. But the value of the dollar has decreased. And a lot mm-hmm. of people are also saying, look, I know what it's like to be not have money and I'd rather have it. So I'm going to save it. So I think that's fine. I think we can learn from that. In the meantime, what are you doing to solve the problem? There's something about not trying that turns the stomach of the American people and even Democrats and really turns off independents. You have your own agenda, but you're running our country. That's not a good mix. I want to move on and talk about something. Joe Manchin, I think, has shown Democrats the future. He said the country's center right. I'm center left. We're not way out to the left. And then you have Eric Adams talking about law and order and sat there and talked about we have to bring uh, crime down in the inner city. We have to have the backs. We have to have the backs of our law enforcement, our cops, hold them accountable uh, when they don't do the right thing. But yesterday he meets with Black Lives Matter, I guess, co-founder and the New York chapter, uh, Hawk Newsom. And if this isn't a threat, I don't know what is. Because we know what happened. Over 450 businesses were destroyed, likely more. Some just were out. Nobody went out back to claim. After they meet and talk about reinstating the anti-crime unit, he says this, cut 27. If they think that they're going to go back to the old ways of policing, that we're going to take to the streets again, there will be riots, there will be fire, and there will be bloodshed. We have people in city council who can create problems for him. 
we have people in the streets who can create problems for this administration by shutting it down. And make no mistake about it, I am not threatening anyone. I am just saying <laughs> that as a natural response to aggressive oppression, people will react. Aggressive oppression. We had a year and a half of flat-out chaos and no cash bail. How many people do you think back Hawk Newsom's line of thinking? Well, here's the thing. I mean, Eric Adams is obviously a white supremacist. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. it's just clear. He's a, he, he hates black people. He's a, he's a white supremacist. So is, so is Winston Sears. I mean, all day, the, this, this constant refrain of oppression and, and racism, it's not working. Look at look at the look at the elections that, that, that have taken place in Virginia, in New Jersey. You had Minnesota where they where they rejected the uh, the uh, ending the police department and replacing it with a public safety department. You have New Yorkers who just elected Eric Adams because he doesn't want to defund the police because he wants to return security on the streets. They, I mean, the Democrats and the left are just driving the. De- First of all, this is left on left violence, political violence. This is left on left internecine warfare, and they're eating themselves alive don't you believe too if you're a democratic strategist and mark i don't believe you should apply for that job is it, <laughs> i'd is be better it, than them right but but isn't that <laughs> the key <laughs> if you had a democratic candidate running against any leading republican with that message yeah. of responsible like social spending because that's something uh, that i don't think people it's easy to at least stay across but i care about law and order and if they actually had a track record to do it, they don't want it. Like Joe Manchin does not want to blow up the system, does not want to blow up the filibuster, does not think we should be uh, to go cradle to grade social spending. Isn't that the future of the, a, a successful Democratic Party? So here, here's the problem. There are, there are two types of Democrats. There are the moderate centrist Democrats like Joe Manchin. Uh, who want to win elections and who want to be responsive to the people. And then there's the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, which doesn't care about winning elections. I mean, AOC, uh, Ariana Presley, the, the squad, they literally don't care if the Democrats win in 2022. What they understand is they fully understand they do not have a mandate from the American people for socialism. What they also know is they've been given this window of opportunity right now with unified government and Joe Biden, who is weak and will, will bend to their will. And they know that window is closing because of what happened in, in, in Virginia and New Jersey. So they want to get as much of this, push us as far down the road towards socialism as they can in the next few months, because they know that government is a one-way ratchet. And then once you create a new entitlement, it never gets repealed. Just look at Obamacare, right? So in, in the, the Democrats passed Obamacare, and they got swept out of power in Congress. It helped elect Donald Trump. And here we are more than a decade later, and it hasn't been repealed. Despite the best efforts of the Trump administration, Republicans in Congress, and all the rest of it, it's still there. They want to do that on every front. And they know they're willing to lose elections in order to do it because they know we will never repeal what they do. So they they get elected. They get power. Yeah. They push us down the road to socialism. Then they lose temporarily. They cede power to us for, for, for a brief time. They don't want to, but they but they will. And then they come back in power, and they pick up where they left off. Yeah, they're going to repurpose down the road to socialism. If they can grab the house, they can repurpose some of that money if they grab the house in a year, depending on what they passed. Uh, Mark Thiessen, our guest. Mark, I want you to hear John Kerry take this question at the Glasgow uh, Climate Summit that evidently never will end. So he he says he's convinced he's got to deal with China and they're going to together get off coal. None of this is going to happen, but let's pretend it is. Listen to how he handles this question. How 
in, your, in the several months of meetings um, behind the scenes with China, did you bring up some of those very contentious issues, um, such as use, the use of forced labor? That's not my lane here. That's uh, my job is to be the climate guy. Not his lane. It's not his lane. Just put a bunch of uh, a bunch of Muslims into a concentration camp. Call it genocide. Make them make things like sneakers and solar panels. It's not my problem. Yeah, the communist the communist deal that they're offering us is this: we'll deal we'll help you with the weather if you ignore the Uyghurs. It's that simple. You That's know that, that they 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 want us. They they know. That their hook is that the Biden administration's number one priority is climate, and that if they can if they can dangle a climate deal uh, over in front of the Biden administration, they will ignore the Uyghurs, they'll ignore Hong Kong, they'll ignore what the threats to Taiwan, they will ignore genocide, they will ignore all the other things that they're doing, they'll even ignore the the Wuhan lab. They because because Biden and Kerry all they care about is climate. This, this this crazy right. idea that that the that the humanity is about to be destroyed, which it's not, um, and they are there. It's a religion for them, and so they're so obsessed with it that Chinese are playing us. They know that that's all they care about. If they can give them some sort of a climate deal, mm-hmm. we'll let them, we'll give them a pass on everything else. And the Biden administration is sending a signal that absolutely we'll do that. All right. So that wasn't the that wasn't a profile in courage, but here is one: Ennis Cantor. Center with the Boston Celtics. When he's asked that question, this is how he answers. Cut 41. Nike obviously is the one of the biggest, the biggest sponsor for NBA. Nike was one of the first company out there was standing with Black Lives Matter. But when it comes to China, Nike remains silent because they, China is the big boss for Nike. And I mean, obviously, they are not going to be able to answer because they know what they're doing wrong. They're the one of the biggest, you know, Hypocrite, uh, hypocrite company. So that's what he's – this guy, every time now he's starting to blast him on a daily basis. He puts it on his sneakers, calling it genocide, battling for the Muslims. He's the one whose family's under house arrest who are being having their – all their social media and all their telecommunications monitored to see if Ennis is going to try to contact his family in Turkey. And this guy's taking on China. He's the most courageous athlete I've ever – one of the most courageous athletes I've ever come across. I, he has absolutely nothing to gain from this except he's speaking truth to power. I mean the entire – his team is going to lose money because of his advocacy. Already they've and, taken and down the Celtic NBA, games. Yeah, exactly. And the NBA – the pressure he must be coming under uh, from the NBA to shut up is – Unbelievable, but this guy, because what he's doing, he's not, he's calling out not just not just uh, Nike, but the entire NBA, which has become a average. This is the problem with our strategy with China for the last twenty years: is that we came up with the idea that if you just send American businesses in, they'll democratize, they'll open up, they'll they'll be they'll become better. And instead, what happened is the businesses became lobbyists for the tyrants. Right. The businesses who, who became enmeshed in China suddenly became advocates for tyranny and totalitarian oppression. And that's what you're seeing in the NBA today. That's what you're seeing with that they have been. And that's what you're seeing with Nike. Nike said we're a company of China and yeah. for China. Oh, my gosh. You know, I, I mean, no patriotic American should ever buy a Nike product. This is they are they are the they are the dupes 
of the communist Chinese regime. Uh, they are they are literally lobbying the United right. States not to do anything about slave labor and we with uh, slave labor in Xinjiang China, uh, province. They are, they are advocates for totalitarianism. It's the most disgusting thing, and Enos Cantor is a hero for calling them out. Absolutely, and he's not going to stop. In fact, I've been texting back with him. He's been on our show, and he doesn't want to be a seem political. He wants everyone to understand what he's saying, not think that he's conservative or or uh, democratic, because it'll this mute used the to be message. A thing that liberals cared about. Yeah, it used to be. Human rights, right? But not LeBron James. Not when it comes to China. He speaks out against human rights because America is such a bad place. China seems to have it down pat. And lastly, Blackstone, uh, J.P. Morgan, they all sold their souls. But yet when it comes to oil and gas, they can be intimidated not to put them in their mutual funds and, and like Exxon. But when it comes to China, no problem. Uh, money. Uh, money rules everything. And I'm a capitalist, but not at that, not at the cost of our foreign policy. Mark Thiessen, thanks so much. We really made a lot of progress and solved the world's problems. Thank you. We did. We should do this every week. We should, if I can afford you. <laughs> Back in a moment. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. This, the outcome of this case will be a bellwether of where we are in this country. Kyle Rittenhouse shot three people. Two were murdered. One was, was injured. Having a protest in another state, and he takes it upon himself to go there, you know, and then he says it's self-defense. No. And that, that acting job of the crying, I can't even look at it. Well, this is the... <laughs> that is one of the worst acting jobs I've ever seen. How could you clap for anything Joy Behar says? Do you know a 17-year-older from the Midwest? If anything, he's the most sincere person you will ever meet. Acting? You think Woody, he's not even a theater student. Do you know how hard it is to act, uh, to cry on cue in front of a world audience? I want you to hear more from Drew Hernandez. He was on last night with Tucker, but this was a little of his testimony. This is how devastating it is because he was a witness. He provided a lot of the video. He saw that uh, Rittenhouse had no choice. Listen, cut 21. Well, I immediately started getting messages on social media, uh, people telling me to kill myself uh, because I, quote-unquote, defended a murderer. Here's the thing, Tucker. People are accusing me of being biased. Uh, Even the prosecution was trying to paint this picture that I came in with some kind of biased. My only bias is one thing, the truth. And that's what I was doing today in that courtroom. I wasn't there to give a political opinion I wasn't there to put a spin on anything. I was there because I was an eyewitness. And I also have body cam footage of the entire night, which I submitted to the defense and to the prosecution, to the state as a whole. And you might not like it, but if you're running another network, when something like this is so obvious and you were so wrong saying a white supremacist went around shooting black people, and then when it comes out, it's a totally different story and the video proves it, cut your losses. It's embarrassing to see people attack this kid. You might not. You might say to yourself, was it wise to show up with a rifle? No. But he wanted to help. Go to BrianKillMe.com. You can order the President Freedom Fighter. You talk about race in America. We talk about two great men. 
Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1 866 408 7669. We're going to have a big hour. Shannon Bream is just about ready to join us. And then we're going to be joined by, uh, we have another special guest, 1 866 408 7669. Also, uh, uh, look at actually, what am I saying? Shannon Bream's going to be joining me. We pushed her back. We have Geraldo Rivera ready to go. And Mitch Album is going to be here. His uh, fiction book, Stranger, The Stranger in a Lifeboat, is fantastic. I think it's the top selling uh, fiction book in the country. He always does great work. So let's get to the big three. Now, with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This city is not going to be a city of riots, it's not going to be a city of burning. This is going to be a city where we're going to be safe. We're going to have effective policing that's not heavy-handed. We're going to have the backs of our police officers, but we're going to hold them accountable to do their jobs. I got to get Geraldo on this. Crime and finally some punishment. That's what Mayor-elect Eric Adams is promising for New York City as his center-left campaign has given Gotham hope to restoring law and order. Number two. Kyle Rittenhouse shot three people, two were murdered, one was, was injured. They're having a protest in another state, and he takes it upon himself to go there, you know, and then he says it's self-defense. No, and that, that acting job of the crying, I can't even look at it. Really, Joy Behar can't look at it. I don't know what America will do. Defense rests in the Kyle Rittenhouse murder case. Why we all should be watching this as the jury gets the case officially on Monday. Number one. And the irony is people have more money now. Because of the first major piece of legislation I passed, it changed people's lives. But what happens if there's nothing to buy, you got more money, you compete for getting it there, it creates a real problem. Okay, I'm going to try to unwind what he meant. Uh, So the problem is he gave us too much money? I'm not sure. That is Joe Biden's philosophy. Now he has a good idea how to solve the problem. Take it away? No. Give us more. Joining us now, a man who will take free money, always, Geraldo Rivera, but he'd rather work for it. Fox News contributor at large, author of The Geraldo Show. He's also got a great series, a uh, cop series on Fox Nation. Geraldo, welcome back. The only free money I ever took was my pension from AFTRA because I'm 13 years past retirement age, and yet I persist in working. So uh, that's that's my story. I don't know. What did you do with the $300 that came to your house, Brian? Right. Because I, I, I know you— <laughs> I, I know what I had the um, I was in if if I did not join the union. So I was cast right out of college in a soap opera called Another World. And <laughs> were you really? Yeah, I swear to God. So <laughs> I, I got a call up. Right. So I had a headshot. I'm just sending it around. I was thinking about doing stand up. I'm trying to get a, a TV job. Also, I get a call. It was like a Friday afternoon. And I get this call and it says I'm such and such from another world. So I just started kidding around. I go, OK, what world are you from? She goes, Another World, the soap opera. She goes, we'd like to have you in. We want you to play a thug. And I go, really? Yeah, you've just, picked, you've just been caught robbing a store, and you're going to be brought in by a cop. Do you feel comfortable with that? And they go, they said, we, we're going to give you lines, but if we do, in fact, do it, it'll be under five lines. And then you, if you take this, you're going to have to join the union in 30 days. And I didn't join the union because I had no money. 
And I'm like, join at Union 30 Days. I don't even want to be an actor, but I played a really good thug. How much money did you earn in the acting business? Did I? Yeah, like well, you know, I, I was the star or co-star, rather, of course, of uh, the highest-rated Baywatch in history. Right. How does that pay? <laughs> I had about three hundred fifty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and they had no wardrobe. You took your shirt off and ran down the beach. Yeah, but I did get to hang out with Pam Anderson and the other uh, the babes in their in their uh, in their red clingy. Uh, uh, lifeguard. Wait a second. I, wait a second, Geraldo. Just I have some breaking news here. Let's listen. Albert. Uh, listen. It's okay, Mitch. I understand. Kim, I love you very much, and I'm sorry that I wasn't the one for you. But your happiness is the most important thing in the world for me, and I wish you the best of luck. You're getting a great guy. <laughs> oh wow! How how magnanimous. I lost the girl, but I'm, I hope you're happy. Geraldo Rivera would never say that. The way I, I, the way I remember it, I got sand kicked in my face, and then because of David Hasselhoff, I pumped up, and I went from Alfred the nerd to Alfred the macho. Maybe that's why I left the, uh, the lady behind, because I was on to bigger and better things. But no, no woman would ever leave Geraldo. I mean, that's, that's, right. why, that's why that definitely had to be a made-for-TV movie. Well, um, I also did the Perry Mason uh, death of the uh, of the Romeo, uh, the talkative Romeo, because of my, they played it, you know, as if I, w- I had written the book 1990 when I wrote Exposing Myself. So they took that character, uh, the Romeo, and I get killed by one of the women in the book, and the whole Perry Mason is solving who killed me. <laughs> really, the TV <laughs> show? Yeah, the, the Perry Mason. You don't remember Perry Mason? Yeah, but in other words, were you actually in it? I was I was the Romeo who got killed. Absolutely. Wow, it's amazing. There's no story uh, that happens that you don't have some type of direct or indirect related to. So, so Geraldo, there's a couple of things I want you to weigh in on. Eric Adams, you heard what he just said in the open. I, did. I want you to hear what Hawk Newsom said in return because he's going to put together the anti-crime unit again. He says, I got the cops back and I'm going to hold bad cops accountable, if I was just to paraphrase. But after meeting with Hawk Newsom, he said this, who's the co-founder of the New York chapter of BOM, Cut 27. If they think that they're going to go back to the old ways of policing, then we're going to take to the streets again. There will be riots, there will be fire, and there will be bloodshed. We have people in city council who can create problems for him. We have people in the streets who can create problems for this administration by shutting it down. And make no mistake about it, I am not threatening anyone. I am just saying that as a natural response to aggressive oppression, people will react. So what do you think about that? Is that a way to get off on the right foot with a mayor-elect? It's it's worse than this. It's it's a it, Hawk Newsom is one of those. Uh, you know, he went from being an activist to, to being an anarchist. Uh, New York has has gone toward chaos because of uh, police who have been uh, you know handicapped in doing their job. They've been prevented from doing their job. They've been prevented from allowing uh, thugs who uh, who disagreed with a particular judicial result to then use it as an excuse to loot uh, at stores and create mayhem. Uh, New York is still not healed uh, from the scars of, of the riots that followed the George Floyd uh, tragic death. 
and uh, you know his murder by uh, the cop Derek Chauvin. Uh, but the, those days are gone. Black Lives Matter is uh, has a, the general Hawk Newsom, but I don't think they have the army anymore. Uh, I think the wind has gone out of their sails because people recognize that what their recipe is for remediation of any perceived abuse is uh, is destruction. Uh, is uh, lawlessness, is uh, increases in violence, and then the people of New York, like the people of many other cities, are sick and tired of uh, these uh, these activists who use any any kind of judicial uh, finding as an excuse to perpetrate their selfish acts of violence. If Eric Adams runs the city like he says he's going to run the city, he's providing the blueprint for Democrats to be somewhat successful in 2024, and most importantly, the country. So if Democrats were able to win the debate, as opposed to taking the country a direction we've never been, this extreme socialist push, but if Eric Adams runs center-left and sometimes center-right, and like Joe Manchin would run center-left and center-right. Joe Manchin says, I'm a Democrat, but the country's center-right. That's the rational conversation I believe we used to have in this country. If he understands that law and order is, is not a party political part platform, it's just a necessity, and that if you are tough on crime, you're not anti-minority, I think we'll make huge strides in this country from, uh, to, lay, uh, to lowering the temperature. Don't you agree? I, I do. I, I don't. I think maybe uh, uh, thinking or hoping that the temperature goes down may be wishful thinking. But I like very much what you said about center left, center right. That's where I consider myself. Uh, you know, uh, sometimes they say our, our former boss, the late great Roger Ailes, used to say the only thing in the middle of the road is roadkill. Uh, well, I, I try to devote my uh, career to proving that that statement is wrong, that you can be a moderate, that you can, uh, you know, remember the traditions that you write about so well, Brian. And Thank I'm so you. proud of you with your latest book and your other adventures. You're the busiest man in show business. But, uh, you know, I think that the Eric Adams of the world and the Joe Manchins of the world, they are the salvation of the country. That, those are the people we should look to. Uh, you know, there's plenty of room for everybody. There's plenty of room for everybody to succeed. This is a great country. Let's stop the BS and stop letting the loudmouths. Uh, you know, the, the, the test will come of where we stand right now next week with the Rittenhouse verdict, if, uh, because people have chosen sides. Uh, if there is a perception uh, on, the, on the left that an injustice will be done, they will. I, I think that the Hawk Newsom, uh, you know, that there will uh, be, uh, uh, you know, some, but there will be violence and disruption and people who, who use that as an excuse uh, for their own uh, petty uh, uh, greed. Uh, on the other hand, uh, you have on the right. I, I don't like uh, that uh, that the Proud Boys want uh, an acquittal, and uh, you know I don't want to be rooting uh, for Rittenhouse's acquittal. Although I believe, as a lawyer, he will be acquitted on the on the murder charges. I think he'll be convicted, if anything, on the uh, on the reckless possession of the weapon as a minor uh, and misdemeanor. Uh, but I think that the result will be used by one side or the other as an excuse to perpetrate. Uh, disruption in the lives of innocent people, the middle of the road that you just described, Brian. Right. So what do you think, Harald, you're a lawyer. If uh, it's in the hands of the jury on Monday, from what you saw, what, what, how should it go? Well, I have 
little doubt. I had a long conversation with Alan Dershowitz this morning, Brian, but I have I have little doubt in my own mind that the elements of self-defense have been met in this case. What are the elements of self-defense? One is that you need to have a reasonable perception that your life is in imminent danger. You have to be reasonable in your perception. And then your response to that, let's say you say you, they, the jury finds that he did have a reasonable uh, you know, perception that he was being threatened. Then was his response appropriate? He shot and killed two guys, and shot at the, uh, the third guy. Was that appropriate? Was that an appropriate response? I think the videotape in this case has made clear that the, the victims – uh, you know, the victims, or at least the uh, the people who died uh, at his hand, had weapons. They had guns. They were threatening him with uh, with loaded uh, nine millimeters. Uh, you know, so was his uh, was his response to shoot and kill the person who was threatening him, pointing a gun in his direction, was that appropriate? I believe the jury will find, and I have no doubt, but that the judge believes uh, that this was a self defense case. The only the only flying the ointment, I think, from the defense point of view, is that that does not excuse the fact that he went there to Kenosha with an AR-15. He was just 17 years old. Yeah, it's just amazing because I, I do flip around when these controversial things happen when it comes to an apex. And here's a little of the view, and they have a totally different view. Cut 25. This, the outcome of this case will be a bellwether of where we are in this country. Kyle Rittenhouse shot three people, two were murdered, one was, was injured. Having a protest in another state, and he takes it upon himself to go there, you know, and then he says it's self-defense. No. And that, that acting job of the crying, I can't even look at it. Well, this is the... <laughs> that is one of the worst acting jobs I've ever seen. Acting jobs? He's, you know that kid doesn't act? I mean, do you, do you understand what she's even saying? And that's Joy Behar. She's been around forever. You know, I think I, I love her spunk. Uh, I think she's totally off the mark in this particular case. Uh, I think that the contortions, uh, the facial contortions of the guy seem sincere to me. It was a kid uh, who was, uh, you know, on this uh, world stage suddenly with his life at stake. Reliving uh, the moment. And, and reliving the fact that he, he took two lives, uh, which is, uh, you know, a very profound uh, you know, uh, act that must haunt him for the rest of his life. I hope it does. Uh, but uh, it, it, this is about law. This isn't about, uh, you know, Joy Behar or, or Sonny Hostin. It was, it, this is about did the were the elements of self-defense met in this case? Did the, did the defense attorney make uh, an effective and, and, and uh, uh, appropriate and adequate showing that he had the reasonable expectation that they were going to kill him and that killing them first was an appropriate response. It's, that's right. what it comes down to. You have to divorce yourself from the emotion and the politics. Not, this is not the Proud Boys. This is not Black Lives Matter. This is very simply, right. did he think he was going to get killed and shooting the, uh, the guy before he shot him, was that appropriate? The that's year, what the jury has to decide. That's true. That's the lawyer in you, and this is the actor in you. The year is 1992. The promo for the episode that was talking about Perry Mason. Geraldo Rivera in the role he was born to play. A talk show host whose tell-all book tells too much. Isn't it funny how art imitates life? Only this time, he gets killed for it. Killed for it? You mean I die? Wait a minute. Can we talk about this? An all-new Perry Mason mystery movie. NBC Tuesday at 8, 7 Central. If anyone can find my killer, Perry can. <laughs> <laughs> 
Do you remember, remember that? I doing that, but it all comes back to me now. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of life did you lead? Or are you uh, leading? It's incredible. Uh, my shirt was off a lot. So. Right. I know. And that's what I heard. I got Twitter. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Geraldo. Have a great Thank weekend. You, back in a moment. Great find, Eric. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Pure momentum-based model says that for the year now, inflation could well be as high as 10%. Like if you want to be sort of cautious, you would say 8 8.5%. But this is a momentum that's really, really negative or positive for inflation, negative for the economy. So they're killing supply. They're stuffing demand. They're creating inflation and inflationary pressures that are worse than anything we saw in the 70s. And that kind of thing just can't end well. Right. That is a guy that knows the economy, former chairman of the uh, Council of Economic Advisors, came back and forth a couple of times with Trump. He's been involved with the Bush administration. Very smart guy. He was on with Larry Kudlow yesterday. Kevin Hastert will probably join us next week. That's the concern we all have. Meat, eggs, gas, everything that we get that all of us use are affected. And some live paycheck to paycheck. I live a lot of my life that way. They would make a huge difference. Sometimes, hey, I can't go to work today. I can't afford gas in my car. That's what we're looking at, and to see a president ignore that and economic advisors tell you it's not happening is insulting. Well, a little bit later today, around 530, I'm going to be up in, uh, uh, in Albany. And thanks to uh, WGDJ, they have gotten the word out in Albany that I'm coming up. Tom, you're, on, you're on listening on that station in Albany. What's on your mind? Hi, yes. How are you? Good. What's on your mind today? Sorry, uh, appreciate it. Uh, just uh, this uh, trial with this... Uh, 18-year-olds or so, uh, I think it's uh, kind of raunchy for, and everybody has their opinion, I understand that, but I think it's kind of raunchy for a bunch of raunchy people on The View and lemon heads like LeBron James to sit there and mock and make fun. What what would they have done and put themselves in a predicament if that would have happened to them or somebody that, that they knew or loved in, in, in a sense of manner? Um, nothing was, it, isn't a, it wasn't a planned thing. Okay. Don't make it act. Don't make this to be a black and white thing or a domestic or terrorist thing, because quite frankly, I'm sick and tired of hearing everybody's malarkey in a sense. Um, (laughs) I know know you took President Biden's words. Tom, thank you. I understand it is not a black and white thing. And what he's referring to, LeBron James came out and and laughed at Rittenhouse, the teenager, uh, because he said he made up that he was crying. He was acting. Would you stick up for your city? He was, his dad lives there. He watched it burn down for a couple of days. He wanted to help. Should he have? Well, that's debatable. But he's not guilty. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everybody. It's my privilege to bring on one of the most talented talk show hosts and writers in the country, Mitch Album. Uh, his best-selling uh, books really make you think. This one, no different. It's called The Stranger in the Lifeboat. 
It's among the top uh, books, fiction books in the country right now. Came out just about a week ago. Mitch Albom, welcome back. Brian, good to talk to you. Congratulations on your book. Oh, I appreciate Fantastic. it. Uh, you know, I, 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 have to, I can't think as grandiose as you do. First off, if I, I can't do the Mitch Album biography, but I do remember with Tuesdays with Maury and, of course, saw the movie. If it wasn't for that book and that experience, would you be, be drawn to these type stories? I wouldn't be speaking to you right now, Brian, I'm sure. My life took a major, major turn with Tuesdays with Maury. I was a sports writer, sportscaster. That's all I ever really was interested in. And then I had this opportunity to sit alongside an old man, an uh, old professor of mine who was beloved and was dying from Lou Gehrig's disease and was able to teach me this last course in life, you know, what's important in life when you really know you're going to die, as he was. And I wrote that book to pay his medical bills. It was supposed to be a tiny book, and it became something much bigger, and it changed my entire trajectory. Did you make you dive into the Bible to try to find more meaning in that, or did you find more meaning in more practical things that you can touch and feel? It wasn't so much a Bible thing. Uh, it made me just stop and examine what I was doing at age 37, which was going 1,000 miles an hour, just trying to achieve, 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 and ambition, ambition, ambition. It made me realize that none of those things seemed to matter to him when he was dying. They were of no comfort to him. Uh, you know, all that, was, all that mattered were the people that he had touched and, and the you know, love that he had uh, received. And so I began to realize I better start putting my efforts into more things like that. But yet he was proud of you and what you accomplished, right? Yeah, I mean, he liked the fact that I you know, had done something with my life, but, you know, not for the sake of just keep doing it. He was the one who said to me, you know, what do you do for your community? What do you do for others? And I said, well, I, you know, I write checks to charity. And he said, well, anybody can write a check. You've been given a voice, and you need to use that voice for something more than just aggrandizing yourself. And uh, that led to Tuesdays with Maury, the book, which I wrote, like I say, to pay his medical bills, and then the five people you meet in heaven, and then other books like that. And I've kind of been writing. I had, that was the last time I wrote a sports book was just before I saw Maury. So I guess my focus has been on more about things that really matter in life and, and you know, how we can make life better. And even though this book, you know, it's, it's a fiction book, but, it, but the, something really happened in your life that spurred this idea. And yeah. it came with your, you, you uh, starting an orphanage in Haiti over 10 years ago, right? Yeah, I took over an orphanage uh, 12 years ago, uh, right after the earthquake, and I, I'm there every month in Haiti. Uh, I have 53 children that we raised there and, and who learn and, uh, you know, are taken care of and eventually go on to college. And, uh, yeah, the, the kids there have had a tremendous effect on me. And this new book, The, the Stranger in the Lifeboat, is it, really kind of a book, Brian, about, like, help when we ask for help. So the premise of it is kind of right out of a of a adventure movie. There's a there's a luxury yacht owned by one of the richest people in the world. He has all these rich friends and guests on it. And in the middle of the ocean, suddenly it explodes, blows up, and everybody's killed except 10 people, five of whom are the guests, five of whom are the staff. And they find their way to a life raft, and they're out there for three days. Nobody's coming for them. They're, they're running out of food and water. There's sharks. You know, they're crying out for help. And suddenly they see this body floating in the water, and they, they, they pull it in. It's this young guy, kind of nondescript average looking guy and they pepper him with questions he doesn't say anything and finally one of the passengers says well thank the lord we found you and he says i am the lord and that begins this sort of saga of uh 
of this guy who doesn't look, act, or, you know, sound like God, but he claims that he is, and, and they keep saying, okay, yeah, sure, fine, you're, you're God, yeah, what are you doing here? And he says, well, haven't you been calling me? And they say, so you're going to save us? And he says, well, I can only save you if everyone in the boat believes I am who I say I am at the same time. And, uh, you know, it explores, as it goes on, this whole notion of when we ask for help, which we've all been doing over the last couple of years with the pandemic, do we accept it if it doesn't come right when we want it or right the way that we, you know, expect it to look or be? You know, sometimes we, we think our prayers aren't answered, and then 10 years later, we look back and we say, well, you know, if that hadn't happened, this hadn't happened, and this wouldn't have happened. And it turned out that was kind of the best thing that happened. Well, if it's the best thing that happened 10 years from now, it's probably the best thing that's happening now. It's just, you know, we don't always accept that. And so this book kind of explores that idea. And and uh, so you look at, for example, people do that on a regular basis. You know, why can't I get this? I, this is what I want to get, right. and it's not there. So is your right. is your goal uh, delayed or is it denied or is it not in the best interest of your life? Maybe we're not equipped exactly. to figure that out. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, you know, to, to, to finish the button on that story that you brought up, so we adopted one of our kids from Haiti because she developed a brain tumor. And uh, we took her in, and, and she ended up living with us for two years here in America as we traveled around the world trying to find a cure. And when she died, you know, uh, I was broken, you know, because we loved her so much. And I kind of said, well, there can't be anything in the world. You know, there can't be a God. There can't be any benevolence because how can you be benevolent, not be benevolent to a seven-year-old orphan from Haiti? You know, but as the years have passed, I've kind of, you know, looked at it a little bit differently with my wife's help and some other people and said, well, you know, we didn't lose a child. We were given a child. And and there's actually a moment in the book where one of the passengers confronts this God character with that very question, you know, well, why do you let people die? Why did my wife have to die? And he's crying. And, and the God character says to him, I, you know, people always say, why did God take the person from me? A better question might be, why, what did I do to deserve being given them? You know, what did I do to warrant their, their, their sweetness, their joy, the, the memories that they gave with me? And he says, I know that people cry when their loved ones here on earth leave, but I can assure you those who leave are not crying. And for me, that, you know, I wrote that as much for me as I did for the readers, you know, that that gave me some comfort in thinking about our little girl whose name was Chica, or wherever she is, she's not crying now, you know, she's not suffering anymore. And now I know a lot of people that ask those kind of questions, you know, of the universe or God or whatever. So. It was kind of a uh, kind of an unusual thing, Brian, to be able to put words into a God character's mouth. You know, you, you tend to look up at the sky and make sure a lightning bolt's not coming down and blow, blow up your computer, you know, because you don't want to be you don't want to be uh, haughty. But uh, we all kind of ask those questions of the universe. And I tried to put them in the mouths of the passengers who are in this life raft. And where do you think you got the answers? Like, obviously, that's a, a very deep answer, and it's a an answer that makes you feel satisfied and better. But what do you think that's based on? Uh, it's based on life experience at this point, Brian. You know, I'm not 20 years old anymore, you know, and and, and uh, I've I've lived through a lot. I've lost a lot of, of people that I love. I've spent time with really brilliant, I think, people like Maury and like other people I've written books with, and their wisdom has kind of found their way into me. And I'm trying now to sort of pass it on through through the lessons in my book. So it's from life observation. You know, one of, one of the one of the passengers asks this guy character, uh, "Do you answer everybody's prayer?" 
you know, sarcastically. And he says, oh, yeah, I answer every prayer. But sometimes the answer is no. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, you know, we think about that and say, yeah. well, yeah, okay, because sometimes what we want may not be in concert, as you very brightly said a couple minutes ago, may not be in concert with the rest of the universe or somebody else. You might want something that would mean somebody else would not get something. So sometimes the answer has to be no or you have to wait. Uh, you know, my wife and I wanted to have children when we were first married. It didn't happen. We figured, all right, well, it's not that prayer is an answer. 20 years later, we have an orphanage with 53 children, you know, so maybe it was answered, you know, it just took 20 years. So, uh, you know, if you can't think of help in the universe as like ordering a deli sandwich where, you, you know, you place your order in five minutes, but if it's not there and it doesn't look exactly like you ordered it, then you're unhappy. You got to give the world time, you know, give God time uh, and, and trust that, you know, it's all going to work out in the end. So tell me about what's going on in Haiti. It just sounds hellacious right now with the murder yeah. of the president and the almost killing of the, of the president's wife, the first lady there. And then with the, the taking of American hostages. How, uh, how upsetting must that be, especially for you, knowing you have 53 lives that you feel responsible for and you're going back regularly? Yeah, well, I go every month, and it's very scary. And we have to have, you know, bodyguards, and uh, our place is secured with, uh, you know, security guards around. Our poor kids have not been outside of the orphanage in nearly two years. I mean, we can't wow. even take them on a bus ride to go to the beach or anything because the streets are too dangerous. Kidnapping is rampant. We can't get fuel for our generator. You know, only, you only Brian get you only get electricity about ten or twelve hours a day in Haiti. And the rest, you're on your own, you know, and if you don't have a generator, you're in pure darkness and can't turn on a light, can't battery anything up. And so you need fuel for the generator. Well, nobody can get fuel because the trucks can't pass through these areas that are gang run. And so no, literally nobody has fuel. We're paying $15, $20 a gallon for, for gasoline just to try to or diesel fuel just to try to turn on our lights. It's it's crazy. Wow, uh, that's incredible. So with the 53, are you just going to bring them through their life, their school years? Are you replenishing? Our, or is, it, is, this a, is this an orphanage that's going to continue to cycle kids? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it goes on. We have 53 currently, but, I mean, we've probably, since I've been there, probably had over 75. And wow. them have gone on. We, we give every, every one of our kids has a chance to go to college. I uh, provide scholarships with help of people here in the States. And and uh, they get to go to college here in the United States, and then they come back and they, they work two years at the orphanage themselves, you know, giving back to where they came from, and then they get set up and try to make their country a better place. We're not – our goal isn't to bring the kids to America. There, there are enough people in America uh, trying to make things better. They, they need to try to make Haiti better, and they know that, and they're proud of that. So, yeah, we have 53 at any given time from age one up till about age 19 – um, and they're the most joyous, Brian, most joyous, thankful, faithful kids. And a lot of them were around me when I wrote Stranger in the Lifeboat. You know, they sat around, you know, if you have a computer down there, because we don't have computers or, or Internet or, or TVs or anything like that. And I have my little laptop, and they're sitting around going, what, what are you doing, Mr. Mitch? I said, I'm writing my book. What's the book called, Mr. Mitch? A Stranger in the Lifeboat. Well, who is the stranger in the lifeboat, Mr. Mitch? Okay. Here, why, why don't you why don't you guys just read it? And I printed it out and I gave it to them because they're really good readers. And uh, they gave me some good suggestions, actually. They, they, they maybe made a few edits. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, if people want to help you out in that mission, where could they go? 
HaveFaithHaiti.org. Very simple. Everything's there. All of our kids, you can meet all our kids there. You can see what we do. 100% of the money that's given to us goes right to the kids. There are no administrative costs. I pay everything out of my own pocket for all those type of things. So if somebody wants to help, they can know if they give us a dollar, that dollar is going to the kids. HaveFaithHaiti.org. Pick up the stranger in the lifeboat. Everybody else is. It's uh, rocketing up the charge. Mitch Alvin, thanks so much. Always appreciate having you on. Great to talk to you, Brian, and much success with the president and the freedom fighters. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mitch Alvin. Thanks. When we come back, your turn, one 408 We're also following the news of um, – uh, we're also following a, a myriad of news on, on all different fronts, including the vice president coming back. The president is uh, got a guy of a down day today, but Jen Psaki is back. How will that first press briefing be? How will she describe – her uh, stay and her stint with uh, the COVID virus. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. All right, we're back uh, tonight in a few hours. Uh, finally, November 12th, the book, of ha- uh, the book House of Stuyvesant Plaza. I'll be there at about 5.30 today, Albany, New York. Uh, so I'll be signing the President of Freedom Fighter. I'll get a chance to talk a little bit and talk to our great listeners up there. And then over to Elkhart, Indiana for the big noise event at Lerner Theater. Then I'll see you Tuesday, November 16th at Vero Beach. Then I'm going to the Patriot Awards at the Hard Rock, and I'll be signing books there in Pensacola. And you can go find that all on BrianKillMe.com. Special thanks to everyone who came out in Doylestown, Pennsylvania yesterday. Great people, great listeners. Uh, let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Wow. Uh, Britney Spears' conservatorship could end as early as today. This week is going to be interesting for me. Britney wrote, I have been praying for something more in my life. I know I've said some things on Instagram out of anger, and I'm only human. I believe you'd feel the same way if you were me. Quote, my dad may have started the conservatorship, but what people don't know is it was my mom who gave me the idea. I will never get those years back. I think she's going to need therapy. I am not positive. But I'm pretty sure. This is a real strange family dynamic. But imagine when she goes back to Vegas. They could probably sell out. Uh, oh, yeah, she's going to Los Angeles sell out the Hollywood there? Bowl. Yeah. I'm yep. so good. Next, Thanksgiving air travel is back on track and exceed pre-pandemic levels. It's going to be good news. Look out. American Airlines is paying their people more just to not give them problems because there is a threat that they might not have the workforce. Bookings for Thanksgiving are up 78% from last year, 3.2% from 2019. Wait, did Anthony Fauci said we can have Thanksgiving? I forgot. I lost track. First, really? we can have Halloween. Could you we get can't him on have the Halloween. Line? We can have Christmas. Yeah. We can't have Christmas. Okay. Can we have Boxer Rebellion Day? <laughs> we can? Because that's something that's generated yes. in China. Yes. Next. Bad parent. Four and five owners feel guilty after lying to their pets. Are you one of those pet owners who disguised their trip to the vet as an innocent walk in the park? In a, in a survey of 2,000 pet owners, more than half say they often feel they aren't doing enough for their pets. One of the main reasons for their guilt is dishonesty. So how do you deal with this with Rocky and Apollo? Do you no, pretend? No, they love going to the vet. Oh, okay. So they just... love the vet. I mean, when I get close, they sense it. Can't wait to get there. That's part of the magic of these dogs. Everything's backwards. 
They're oh, they great in the car. They're a mammoth. If I get a big car, they're not comfortable. They want to be in an SUV, even though they weigh 130 and 140 pounds each. They like they like to be more confined. Is what you're I saying? don't know what's going on. I got to get a dog expert to or a dog psychiatrist. So this leads me to the other question now: If they prefer to be away from the home, who is with the one me? Who... Well, I drive. They don't drive. No, but they prefer to be away, so they want to be with you at the home, or they just prefer to be. Oh, out? they want you home. Okay. Yeah, they don't stop. Next. Three and four people believe in soulmates. Would you trust a computer to pick Mr. and Mrs. Right? Three and five Americans say they trust a compatibility test online. 2,000 Americans find that most people value the idea of compatibility with someone when choosing a partner. 89% uh, 89% do that. 68% believe that someone who is compatible is similar to them. Another 72% of the people consider themselves romantics who believe that people are destined to be together. I'm not sure about that. I just don't know. Do you want someone like you? Or you want someone different than you? Because if you want someone like you, that's boring, right? You, you think the, the same, you day. do everything? Yeah. yeah, which I do. I look well, yeah, I, I figured that. Now I do it to work out. Next. Americans piled up nearly 30 pounds of extra trash per week during the holiday. Six in ten Americans wasted more during the holiday season than any other time of year. This is a new survey of only 2,000 Americans. 43% will have more waste during the festive season. No doubt about it. And that's why you have the extra pail. The survey also asked people about the New Year's Eve resolutions. 63% claim they're planning to make a sustainable resolution. I just, because of my, lazy, being my laziness, I just don't wrap gifts to begin with. So I'm actually helping people out reduce trash well, because okay, of good. my laziness. Don't wrap, uh, put in bags. That's the new cop out for Oh, just Americans. hand it to somebody. Right. Here you go. I'm sorry, did you lose this? And then you say, well, you can keep it. I bought it for you. Uh, Will Ferrell's elf costume sells for nearly $300,000 at auction. It's an adult elf costume. Who is buying an adult elf costume? We're not talking about Rocky's trunks here. I know. My goodness. Even the fact that Will Ferrell doesn't want them, that should tell you. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, a little bit later, we're going to have General Jack Keane join us one day after, uh, of course, Veterans Day and reflecting on Afghanistan, the ripple effect, the down, uh, the downstream ripple effect of showing such weakness in the way we left so many thousands left behind. What that says about we did nothing after Hong Kong. What are we going to do about Taiwan? And what about Russia taking over the Ukraine? The word is in January, they're making the move. What will we do to stop it? And stop apologizing and begging Iran to get into some nuclear talks. What does that do to unearth and um, and uh, and make wobbly the Abraham Accords? So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This city is not going to be a city of riots. It's not going to be a city of burning. This is going to be a city where we're going to be safe. We're going to have effective policing that's not heavy-handed. We're going to have the backs of our police officers, but we're going to hold them accountable to do their jobs. Man, does that sound good, doesn't it? Mayor-elect Eric Adams, crime and finally some punishment. That's what the mayor-elect is promising for New York City as his center-left campaign has given Gotham hope to restoring law and order. What stands in his way? Black Lives Matter. 
Number two. Kyle Rittenhouse shot three people. Two were murdered. One was, was injured. Having a protest in another state, and he takes it upon himself to go there. You know, and then he says it's self-defense. No. And that, that acting job of the crying, I can't even look at it. She's a treat. Defense rests in the Kyle Rittenhouse case, murder case. Monday, the jury gets the case. I got to ask Shannon Bream where she thinks his case is going. Number one. And the irony is people have more money now because of the first major piece of legislation I passed. It changed people's lives. But... What happens if there's nothing to buy and you got more money, you compete for get, getting it there, it's like it creates a real problem. <laughs> it's so eloquent and so unusual. Not now. That's the national theme tossed out by reasonable non-political, rational theme, I should say, non-political people as the oblivious president starts the campaign to campaign to jam a $2 trillion reconciliation package down our throats. Does he know we have an inflation problem, a supply chain problem, energy prices through the roof? Three reasons we need to work, not spend. Shannon Bream does not have a spending problem. Is that correct? Correct. Right. Thanks for joining me, uh, Shannon, just to clear that up. You got it. All right. Uh, you, I, I watched your show live last night. That's how late I got in. What? Yes. That is ridiculous. What were you doing out clubbing as usual, your yeah. Thursday night routine? Yes, my Doylestown uh, signing went a little late. Uh- I blame myself because I talked too long, and the signing was like clockwork, but it was great. But it was a longer drive than I thought. I'd say so. Well, I'm glad you're with us live. Yes. uh, It was a great show, as usual. You handled the breaking news uh, brilliantly. Shannon, first off, from the type of S you put in your legal hat, everyone has a lot of hope, and I am hoping because I do think he's innocent. Kyle Rittenhouse getting off on Monday. Do you believe that that'll happen? It's a good question. Listen, the prosecution has really struggled and had some missteps, I think. Now, listen, the left and a lot of the mainstream media is mad at the judge. They think that he's been too hard on prosecutors. I got to tell you what, though, he's given them multiple chances. He's warned them about things. I, if I, for my days back practicing in the, in the courtroom, and I didn't spend a ton of time in the courtroom, but if a judge had talked to me that way once, I would have been terrified <laughs> that I've blown up this entire case. Okay, I mean, judges do not usually get that heated and not multiple times to the prosecution over and over. So they've got some real problems because, you know, Kyle's team, if he is convicted, is really going to press on this um, mistrial situation. They're going to press for that. And I think the judge is obviously going to have a very sympathetic ear to that because he feels like this prosecution has um, defied him or mocked him or, you know, at least gotten to, if not crossing over the line a couple of times. So um, I think the prosecution's got some real problems. They got to close it up on Monday and we'll see how they do. But here's the thing. If he is found innocent of the murder charges, the chances of him being retried I don't think in Wisconsin, I'd have to double check, but every state is different. I think in Wisconsin, I heard that if there is a mistrial under certain circumstances, there's not an option to retry on state charges. So that's possible. Um, every state is different on that. But, uh, you want, know, right. if that's it in Wisconsin, you know there will be people who are going to be very, very upset about that. And I do worry for that area for, you know, potential unrest. And I think people who live there who are on all sides of uh, this Rittenhouse debate and, and conversation are worried that that's potentially, uh, you know, a, a side effect, depending on whatever the uh, verdict tends to be. So if you're one of those jurors and you saw the riots in 2020 and you say to yourself, I don't want to be responsible for that, mm-hmm. so I will find him guilty on something. I don't want to be a jury 
uh, that lets him out, lets a murderer out, even though I think he's innocent and it was self-defense. Do you believe that is a factor, is considered a factor in the juror's mind? You got to hope it's not. Um, but again, these are people from that area and they live through a lot of this. And so whether they intentionally think that it's um, bearing on their decision making or not, we don't know. But you got to think it's somewhere there, at least subliminally in the back of their minds. Now, I, I want to trust our juries and our jurors out there that they're a critical part of our justice system and we trust them that they're going to make these really difficult decisions. We ask these people to do something um, that's very unpleasant. I'm sure a lot of these jurors thought, I don't want to be sucked into this, but we trust them with this process to make the decision to listen to the arguments, and they got to do it as a group. And so um, it, it, I think it'll be interesting Monday to see when they get the case, how quickly they come back. That always tells us a lot. Okay. Uh, I want to, you brought up the sparring before. Cut 16. Does Real America's Voice have any sort of um, political bias or agenda or anything like that. Um, what is the it goes to the bias of the witness, Your Honor. Uh, the bias in what respect? I, I assume that people, we, uh, as I come at the beginning, this is not a political trial. That's an attorney that you uh, have out of Madison? No objections are relevant. What's the relevance of this? Well, Your Honor, we've had a lot of questions about other What's people. What's the relevance of this? I would like to know why he felt the need to retain an attorney to provide video in this case. I think it goes to bias. I think it goes to credibility. Uh, it's been asked to other witnesses. Let's take the lunch break. So what was his problem with that? Why, why does it matter? He is a witness. Now they want to know who he works for to see if he is tr is, has a political bias. That, the judge says that's out of bounds. Why? Yeah, well, and this reminds me of A Few Good Men, um, where Demi Moore's character is like, I object, and the judge is like, no. And she's like, I strenuously object. Like, you can't just keep arguing with the judge. Like, if he's making the calls, like, you're done, and that's it. And if he has decided that that is some form or fashion of bias that is going to make this into a political situation that's going to um, sway the jury in, an, in a way or with evidence that it's not admissible, if the judge says it, keeping arguing with him is only going to dig you in a hole further with that judge who was already been unhappy with you. So you do so at your own peril. I mean, you're, you're endangering your overall case when you do that kind of stuff. And I just, it makes me think of that few good men situation. Like when you're digging, put down the shovel and try to salvage your case. And true. So I want to bring you to the Durham probe. I find this fascinating over the last few days. It's unfolding in a way I thought Durham was going to come out, get some ancillary players, bring up some questions, but then be underfunded. And that would just gradually die away. I was wrong. Uh, I'm really intrigued by the what he's doing, and a couple of things. This Dushenko, have you been following? You've been following it close in your yeah. show, right? So mm -hmm. Dushenko is the Russian that they survived, said provided the information to uh, to the for the Steele dossier, and he took it as a fact, or for the most part, handed out and said, "Look how bad this guy is." Then we found out he goes, "You know, I couldn't verify it. It wasn't me. It was Dushenko." Now, Dushenko evidently – now, try to follow me on this and tell me if I'm wrong if you, if you think I am because it does get somewhat confusing. Dushenko says, I got a lot of my inf information from this Belarusian, and he gave me information. And it, he goes, I called to him right before I talked to Christopher Steele. They investigated. They go, no, you didn't. This guy's insisted all along. I didn't give you information. He said, no, no, he, I got it from him. He's like, no, you didn't. You didn't get it from him. 
So what it seems as though he wanted to get people off the scent that Chuck Dolan Jr., with all his contacts in Russia linked directly back to Bill and Hillary Clinton, was the source of the faulty intelligence which made up the Steele dossier. Am I at all accurate in what I said? Am I inaccurate at all in what I said? Well, listen, I think that if I'm in the Clinton camp, I'm nervous right now because these things keep pointing back to them, back to people who are part of their campaign or associated with them in some other way. And you're right. I think a lot of people felt like, ah, Durham's not going to – nothing's going to come of it. It's going to be an investigation that's going to sort of peter out, and it'll be in the you know footnote in history. Well, you know, there are a lot of people now um, who have been part of these special investigations in the past or part of the DOJ investigations and say, listen, what he's doing looks like he's building to a bigger fish. You get these people. People, you get them talking, you get them nervous. You know, we know how this works. Um, but there are so many things that do link back directly to people who are directly connected to the Clintons. Uh, do I think that, you know, Hillary Clinton or Bill Clinton are going to get arrested? No. Um, but it's not a good look. And when some of these people are now part of the Biden administration as well, it creates an unnecessary for the he- headache for the White House, which is already dealing with a table full of other crises. This is the last thing that they want is for, you know, their national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, or anybody else to be caught up in some of this stuff, even if it's tangential. By the way, Jake Sullivan, a part of this, was the advisor who could have lied under oath saying he had nothing to do with giving information to these parties. And it looks like he flat out lied because there's a uh, somewhat of a paper trail with his name on it. And now he's he's back uh, back in power in Washington. So the thing is, mm-hmm. we don't have a story with just investigators. We only have a story if the FBI takes it and the media buys into it. They did the full circle. They got the media buy-in and they got the FBI buy-in. And I'm wondering, did the FBI know what they were buying? Well, and that's the thing that you'll hear Professor Jonathan Turley that is on with you guys and, and all of our shows on Fox, and people know him very well. He says to him what it looks like is it was a setup to dupe the FBI, and they bought it. Because you think about what the Steele dossier ended up being the um, basis for, um, going to the FISA courts, doing all these things, having the Mueller investigation. If it really was that easy to fool the FBI, I'm worried. i got to think there's more to the story. Um, but he thinks that's what it was, that this whole thing where – you go in, you feed some stuff to the media, and then you cite the media reports as support for what you're trying to prove. Um, it's a really ugly circle, and things like that happen in Washington. And it seems like Durham uh, is determined to keep moving and getting closer and closer to the ultimate payoff, whatever that is. Uh, Shannon, who do you have on tonight? You know I never know because I just woke up when I talked to you. Yeah. It's going to be riveting, though. Absolutely. Can I give you a hunch? <laughs> what? Can I stack your show? You ready? Yeah, come on. Okay. You're going to do... you want to be a booker when you come on with like me? To, and... I'd like to, but there's no openings right now. Uh, oh. Kyle Rittenhouse, uh, I, I think you're going to do that. Yes, we've got a legal panel. We do for that. All right. Uh, the other thing I'd like you to take a look at, too, is President Biden's lack of information and uh, instinct when it comes to handling inflation or economic issues. I think you have both oh, sides. Oh, yeah, we've got an economic panel, too. And you know what I still find interesting one day later, and I'm certainly making a part of this show, and I am a little biased? I'm intrigued by Eric Adams sounding like a Republican and very much a Democrat who used to be pushing on the NYPD to act differently and get their foot off the gas when it came to acting aggressively when he was a captain, now taking on Black Lives Matter as a black mayor about to take power in a month. And it's just fascinating to see somebody. Yeah, I love it because it makes – if you want to lower the pressure in America, show me both parties have our best interests in mind. 
and don't give me political ideology. He seems to want to be successful than rather to be a great Democrat. And that's what we need. Yeah, and I think his background as an officer, uh, as somebody who served as one of our law enforcement officers and first responder, is a great thing for the people of New York. Okay, way to, uh, way to put a bow on it. Shannon, so you take that into advisement. If you want this tape, okay. I will give it to you. Uh, do I need our, to pay you some kind of, like, finder's fee, consultancy? No, this is what you do. You open up the show. I go, uh, hi, everyone. Uh, this is Shannon Bream. Welcome to Fox News at Night. Part of this show has been produced and is sponsored okay. by Brian Kilmeade. His we'll radio show is on to 9 to noon Eastern time, Monday through Fridays. Please listen. You're the hardest working man in the business. Right. All I want is a plug. Do you need a headshot? I do, and it may be a free copy of your latest book. Uh, you mean the President and Freedom Fighter? You don't have I've one I've heard yet? of it. Right. I'm going to sign it to you. Jenna, <laughs> I really enjoyed our time together. Sorry to wake you up. Got to go. Thank you. When we come back, your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Remember, I'm going to be en route to Albany shortly. I want you to meet me there. Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Policing is predictable and unpredictable. That is what, what that is what public safety is. If the bad guys know that the only thing they have to look after out for are those in blue and white cars, we're at a disadvantage. You need the unpredictable aspect of policing and public safety, and that's the unmarked car. That keeps the bad guys off balance. Right now, their mindset is we don't have to worry anymore. And you know what? That's Eric Adams just talking plain English. He's a guy who wants to accomplish something. He doesn't want to score Democratic points, but he is providing, if he governs like he speaks, like he campaigned, and this was not his original approach, but if he governs talking about law and order and not vilifying high earners who are already paying too much in taxes, like this previous governor who just thought they were the worst at everything to diminish uh, Wall Street, uh, tried to raise taxes. Believe it or not, it was Cuomo that stood up to a lot of what he tried to do. Do you know there's a report coming out today that Cuomo intentionally would not collaborate with New York City when it came to health concerns with this pandemic? Do you believe their hatred was so great, more his towards uh, the, the ridiculously inept mayor here in New York, that people probably died because these two weren't even talking to each other, and the press gave him a total pass? But Eric Adams is talking about law and order. So two years ago, 450 businesses, tens of thousands over the course of 12 days and tens of thousands of, I would say, millions of dollars were lost uh, because the city was allowed to burn and cops were told to back off, that they were the problem. Then they got rid of a billion dollars in the, in the NYPD budget. They did not have an academy for at least six months. So that saved additional money and stopped people from going back on the job. So many quit and resigned. And then they backed them off and gave these new rules. It was impossible to be a policeman or woman in New York City. Nobody wanted to do it. There was no more pride there. They weren't selling the hats or patting people on the back anymore. And Eric Adams wants to change that. We had a year without law and order. Nobody wants it. Black, white, Hispanic, Asian, nobody wants a lack of law and order. We need cops. 
I don't want AOC deciding what we're going to do with police or to reimagine it. So one thing Eric Adams did is says, look, what was going on? Black Lives Matter. They thought there was inequity and there was a clampdown when it came to the policing of African-Americans. Uh, you know, uh, let's talk about that. He's black. He was on. He was a captain in the NYPD. He was president of the Brooklyn Borough. Here's Hawk Newsom's response to Eric Adams, and it's not good. Cut 27. If they think that they're going to go back to the old ways of policing, that we're going to take to the streets again, there will be riots, there will be fire, and there will be bloodshed. We have people in city council who can create problems for him. We have people in the streets who can create problems for this administration by shutting it down. And make no mistake about it, I am not threatening anyone. I am just saying that as a natural response to aggressive oppression, people will react. Yeah. Listen, he's overstepping. This is not the same country it was a year ago. We have been sobered up, no longer emotional. The pandemic is, for the most part, in our rearview mirror. We're ready to move on. We don't want that attitude anymore. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Rosenbaum was attempting to push a burning dumpster into police vehicles that were occupied by police officers, human beings. And once someone put that dumpster out, he immediately started to get confrontational with people at a gas station to the point of requesting to be shot by them. And after that skirmish took place, he retreated to the street, covered his face, began to burn trash cans in the middle of the street. And then two minutes later, he made his way to car source and began to charge Kyle Rittenhouse from behind. And the rest is history. That's called an eyewitness. It's not up to you to decide whether he's guilty or not when you have an eyewitness that says he's clearly not. This is the definition of self-defense. So you have a guy there. So what they did is they tried to, listen, he's a prosecutor. He's trying to really try to save his case. So when he comes back and says, well, is it true? Basically, you work for a conservative outlet? Excuse me? I have tape. I was sitting right there. I'm an eyewitness. You're going to tell me that I'm going to make something up that the tape doesn't show you already? Maybe I could give you some context to what you're seeing? And it's as if they didn't prepare for him to talk like that. Then what he did afterwards, he hopped on with Tucker. I'm not sure that's a bad move or a good move, but Tucker just wants to tell the story. I do have a source, and you know him, that was telling me all about this and ran to uh, Rittenhouse's defense immediately when it looked like he got panicked and just shot two people. But upon further review, when more tape was uh, shown, it became clear that uh, this guy had a strong self-defense case. And the more they saw, they said some drone video from above. There's something else that happened that someone wrote me about. I can't even pretend it was was my idea. But they wrote me and said, you realize after the Rittenhouse incident where two people died, three people shot, the riot stopped. So they, he was able to do, there was tragedy, but he was able to do what the police weren't allowed to do, what the governor wasn't pre-meant to do. They were letting them so-called blow off steam. Here's some more from Drew Hernandez. Well, I immediately started getting messages on social media. 
uh, people telling me to kill myself uh, because I quote unquote defended a murderer. Here's the thing, Tucker. People are accusing me of being biased. Uh, even the prosecution was trying to paint this picture that I came in with some kind of bias. My only bias is one thing, the truth. And that's what I was doing today in that courtroom. I wasn't there to give a political opinion. I wasn't there to put a spin on anything. I was there because I was an eyewitness. And I also have body cam footage of the entire night, which I submitted to the defense and to the prosecution, to the state as a whole. He's an independent guy. We're CBS, ABC, and CNN. Uh, Mike Tobin was able to be on the ground there. I would say that he is as courageous and as insightful as anybody during these riots, especially those Kenosha riots because of the shot shooting of Jacob Blake, which was perpetuated by him and running through cops when they say stop and running through tasers after they shoot it. And then it didn't look like the best police work shooting him at close range because he was about to get in the car and there was a kid in the back. Tulsi Gabbard who's making more and more sense by the day. Tulsi Gabbard, Eric Adams, Joe Manchin, maybe Kristen Sinema, Democrats who are rational and can't understand what's going on in this country right now. Cut 24. This is the problem here, right, is that there is no care or interest in evidence or the facts or justice. Really, it's about politics. It's about, hey, are you one of us or are you one of them? Are you on our team or are you the quote-unquote enemy? And as we've seen in this example and others, if you're not on our team, then you are a racist. You're a white supremacist. You're a terrorist. And, it, and no one's buying it. And I think what I like about it now is people say it so much so often that we're just going, it's, it's becoming background noise. And there's just there's, you could see as this case unfolded, as you break it down, race has nothing to do with it. So the jury is expected to deliberate as early as Monday over this whole fate. I, evidently, the prosecution is putting something together where they're going to maybe uh, undercharge, bring down the charge, maybe to um, manslaughter. If I were them, if I was Rittenhouse, I would not touch it. What I fear is that jur- jurors are people, they see the burning down of all these cities. We have TVs, we have reports, we might have lived with it directly. And do they want to be part of a decision that allows more cities to burn? I know in Chicago, they're keeping their guys and their women on overtime, their law enforcement on overtime. They're watching it in the major cities. They should be watching it in every city. Remember, Seattle and Portland, just as bad. So pretty. Uh, there's a lot to... There's a lot to worry about. Greg Jarrett was on with Sean Hannity last night talking about Rittenhouse. Now, Sean had talked to uh, Kyle's mom earlier. Greg followed up, cut 26. And, you know, prosecutors had all of this exculpatory evidence for more than a year, which invites the question, why in the world did they file charges in this case? Well, they did it. It's fairly obvious to me because the woke mob demanded it fueled by the mainstream media Uh, So riven with bias that they convicted Rittenhouse in the court of public opinion, uh, ignoring facts, ignoring the evidence. They don't know a damn thing about the law. And it's it's scary. Uh, And that's what I worry about. Emotion taking over when you've actually done a good job knocking it out of the park. So just give you an eye what Hollywood's doing, how little we can ever hope on them to have being rational through this outside maybe The Rock and Matthew McConaughey. Kyle, uh, this is what Rosanna Arquette said. I guess you won an Emmy for doing something. She said, um, F that kid. Okay. While with actor David Batista. That's nice. LeBron James, after seeing Rittenhouse cry, writes, tweets, 
LeBron James, who pres- pressed send on a tweet asking Rittenhouse, what tears? About four question marks. I didn't see one. Man, knock it off. That boy ate some lemon heads before walking into the court. Maybe that's cultural. I have no idea what a lemon head is. Do you know what a lemon head is? Nobody knows. Lemon heads. You know how hard it is to cry on demand? You think anybody, do you think anyone could, what do you think? Everybody's Al Pacino, Robert De Niro? Top chef. I didn't know there was one, but Padma Lakshima, who's most famous for marrying somebody who, who had a death warrant on him, she said, Time for America to redefine what it means to be a promising young man. Godfather of Harlem star Vincent Dorino. Dorito says, personally, I've never seen acting like that from you, but yes, less experienced actors. Okay, fantastic. That's what Padma was saying to a, uh, to a actor on her set. George Takai, a man that was on Star Trek and forgot to act for the next 50 years, uh, said this about Rittenberg, uh, Rittenhouse, says it's deplorable. If you want to see how justice often leans hard towards privilege, white privilege, then watch the judge in the Rittenhouse case. A deplorable example indeed. So Hollywood, if you can call it that, weighs in. Joy Reid says, huh? That's literally the magnet. Uh, after, the, after the ringtone went off on the judge's ringtone, it sounded like proud American. Uh, that was something that is pro-American, something patriotic. They say, Joy Behar says, that's literally the MAGA national anthem. Can't we just jump ahead uh, of, of to, to the appeal? So no one's watching the case. No one's saying how bad the prosecution is, how much it was self-defense, and how bad it was to wreck a city and have law enforcement be, be told just to stay out of it. Here's the view. Now, Sonny Houston, Houston, uh, Houston is a lawyer, so she should know better. Cut 25. This, the outcome of this case will be a bellwether of where we are in this country. Kyle Rittenhouse shot three people. Two were murdered. One was, was injured. They're having a protest in another state, and he takes it upon himself to go there, you know, and then he says it's self-defense. No. And that, that acting job of the crying, I can't even look at it. Well, this is the... <laughs> that is one of the worst acting jobs I've ever seen. And they clap. Listen, we're playing it, so they're still relevant. If it wasn't for the outrageous clips that make them look just foolish and out of touch, I I don't even know who would care about The View. Remember how much class that show had when Barbara Walters was there? To me, I heard she's not doing well, but to me, if she still had her hand in it, they would have some type of credibility. And finally, what we're seeing now is to get a lot of the facts in a lot of these cases on our channel specifically, you see a lot of independent journalists acting And David Hancock was on last night with uh, Laura Ingram and said this about what has to continue. Cut 23. But I would also encourage the uh, citizen, like journalists, to keep doing what they're doing. I mean, think about how this case would be if there wasn't hours of video from it. You bet. This prosecutor, I mean, this prosecutor had this video from day one and they still, they've still come up with three separate versions as to what happened all the media continues to parrot the same exact lies. Thank God for that video. Yeah, I mean, think about the chances of the coming. You throw about a Zabruder film, somebody shooting uh, the president coming down the, uh, the road. We end up seeing an assassination. Thank goodness for that citizen. Thank goodness for this. That's the only way Kyle Rittenhouse has a chance of getting out. I hope to see all the WGDJ listeners up in Albany, New York, and then see 
uh, in Elkhart, Indiana. See everyone at the Noise event, thanks to MNC. We have hundreds of people have already gotten tickets. I want this thing sold out. All about the president and Freedom Fighter. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Well, you know, this week is like 9-11 in a way because you have uh, a Veterans Day, and it came up on Thursday this week. So we do a great job at Fox, gets better every year, commemorating commemorating veterans. Memorial Day, too, obviously, and then Labor Day making it bigger. And then 9-11, uh, I don't think anyone does it better because it's all sincere and we can surround this story. When it comes to Veterans Day, people keep going back now to Afghanistan. 9-11, it was an open sore. Now it's a sore that just won't heal. The way we got out, the fact that there are even more people still in Afghanistan than we ever thought and were told. The fact is that upon further review in Afghanistan, these private groups are actually making contact with Americans, their families, our allies. But they will even have the aircraft through private donations. But we can't get the State Department to okay a third country. The third country like Kosovo, like Uganda, and other countries have said, yeah, you could bring the Afghan refugees here and the American citizens here, but the State Department says, I'm not sure about the manifests. So they're holding everything up. Think about that. You have to pay to move these men and women out of safe houses. They get them out of safe houses. They pull them into accommodations. We're paying for that. Then you get them on a plane. The foundation pays for that. And these Navy SEALs and these special operators pull them out, but now they have nowhere to land, so they can't execute the operation. It's just sickening. I had a chance to talk to General Jack Keane uh, and how the Afghanistan debacle that's ongoing is setting us up for conflicts elsewhere, especially with our enemies, Russia and China. Uh, we begin with the news uh, about Russia. I've gotten report last night that Russia will definitely move into the Ukraine in January. That is one of the topics. We also talk China and, uh, and President Xi for life. Let's listen. Chinese Communist Party adopting a landmark resolution that could keep President Xi in power for an unprecedented third term or longer. This is tensions build between the U.S. and China. Disturbing new satellite images out of Beijing appear to show a life-size mock-up of U.S. Navy warships, aircraft carriers at a target range complex. Of course, they want us to see this. Here to react, Fox News senior strategic analyst, retired four-star General Jack Keane. General, President Xi doesn't leave. Uh, leave the country, and he's not going to leave power. What does it mean? Well, what's taking place here, this is the Chinese Central Committee. There are six plenumists, as they refer to it. This is the same uh, group that removed the two-term limits in 2018 that the Chinese Communist Party rulers were living under. So what they have done here is an historical resolution that helps to define their ideology. They're celebrating the 100th, the 100th anniversary of the Chinese Communist Party. And as such, they're enshrining President Xi. They've only done this twice before in terms of a historical resolution. One in 1945, Mao Zedong, and number two in 1981, Dao Xiaoping, which gave him the impetus to conduct the economic reform that so uh, helped China with its prosperity. So this is leading to the National Party Congress next year, towards the end of the year. And when that group comes together, what is being predicted right. is certainly President Xi will be extended for a third five-year term with the implication that he'll serve indefinitely or until he chooses to no longer serve. That we've never right. had anything quite like this since Mao Zedong. He is clearly the most ambitious, the most uh, aggressive, and the most malign leader since Mao Zedong. Right, but he's running out of coal. He's got some rolling blackouts. 
uh, and he does have a housing crisis staring him right in the face. Many people think it's much like us in 2008. So we'll see if, how, how he's going to plow over those economic concerns. I want to bring you to the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken. There's something going on with Russia and the Ukraine, and I believe an invasion is imminent. Here he is. We are concerned with the reports of the unusual Russian uh, activity uh, near Ukraine, and our concern is that Russia may make the serious mistake of attempting to rehash what it undertook back in 2014, when it amassed forces along the border, crossed into sovereign Ukrainian territory, uh, and did so claiming falsely that it was provoked. So the word is they're going to invade in January. And the word is they looked at our weakness in Afghanistan and said, now's the time. What do you hear? Well, first of all, we predicted this as a result of this incredible collapse in Afghanistan. We said it would embolden our, our adversary. So what have we seen? We've seen China increase its intimidation and coercion of Taiwan in a way that it has never done before with 150 airplanes just on one weekend alone, not to speak of the civil society that they're undermining every single day inside of Taiwan itself. We've seen the Iranians attack the United States in a base in southern Syria with five armed drones. The purpose? To kill U.S. Ameri U.S. troops that were stationed there. We got early warning. We got our people out, fortunately. And there's been no response to that. The Iranians backed militia inside of Iraq have attempted to kill the Iraqi prime minister. Now, that's the first. And why is that? Because that same prime minister wants U.S. troops to stay in Iraq. And obviously, Iran, knowing full well that seven military bases and multiple CIA bases are no longer on their eastern border, wants the United States out of their western border. So here comes Russia. And we said that Russia would likely step up its activity in Ukraine as a result of the collapse of Afghanistan. And we're seeing that here. He has moved an elite tank guard unit closer to that border. Now, what our Defense Intelligence Agency is likely looking at, this is the kind of work that they do, is if there's going to be an invasion, it will have to be logistical infrastructure to support that invasion and sustain it. And they'll be tracking to see if those forces come into play as well. If they do come into play, then that clearly starts to flag some intent here. So it bears, it bears watching. But it's not surprising, given the weakness that the United States has shown on the world stage. The ripple effect is astounding, devastating, and we're living through it now. And there's not a secretary of defense or state. There's no strength in either, at the head of either uh, branch of our government. Uh, General Jack Keane, we got until January to come up with a plan. Hopefully we'll come up with something. Thanks so much. You're great talking, Wyatt. Have a wonderful weekend. You too. I always love talking to the general. And knowing that not only does he have been able to use his life experience in order to tell us what's happening in the world, he also has intelligent sources. I mean, he uh, talks to them on a regular basis, people in and out of power that are in contact with uh, battlefields, shaping them, the challenges in China to what's happening with Taiwan. Also, the people in our bases in South Korea, as well as Japan, to know the region. And then, of course, in Europe, what we're seeing, we're going to need a NATO presence, a NATO presence in the Ukraine. And they got to be there. That's got to be the blocking sled that stops Russia from taking over another country because Belarus is another ally. Syria is going to be on the march. They sustain and prop them up. Iran is now an affiliate. We have to show strength. Thanks so much for listening. I want to see all my Albany listeners and my Elkhart, Indiana listeners. I want to see them Friday, the Book of House and Stuyvesant. That's tonight. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. In these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.